0: And so I want to share with you just briefly a story from Scripture about this unexpected love and, 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 and how this works. And, you know, I was talking to my twin brother, and he said he was looking recently at the causes for cancer, and there's 243 different causes, carcinogens in the world that cause cancer. But he said, I was looking on the list, and God's not one of those. He, he, he doesn't do it. He's the one that heals us. He's the one that delivers us. That's what resurrection life's about. Amen, church? You believe that this morning. I know, I know some of you do, and that's, that's why we're here to celebrate it. Well, let's, let's look this morning at a story from John's Gospel, and this is about resurrection, but it highlights one character that stands out in the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. And I want to share with you a little about her story today. So John 20, verse 1, early on a Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think it's interesting in John's Gospel that he writes the commentary, and he tells us that he outran Peter. I think that's pretty cool. That's a man thing. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first. Verse 5. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. But Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought it was the gardener. And sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew is teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father. And your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord, and then she gave them his message. In this story, we, we, we hear just the, the significance of the interaction and the significance of the role of Mary Magdalene in the Easter story. I want to spend just a couple minutes talking to you a little bit more about her story. You've maybe heard it, and and because of tradition and culture, some of her story's been changed a bit. And so I, I want to just talk to you about how unexpected love this morning changed everything for Mary of Magdalene. She is, she's mentioned, I think, uh, 14 times in the Gospels, and eight times she's mentioned with this group or this, this other like tribe that she traveled with. She was, you know, when we say Mary Magdalene, just like Jesus of Nazareth, Magdala was the town she was from. So that's not her last name, Magdalene. That's, that's the town she was from. And it turns out that this, this town was, Magdalene means tower or castle. In the time of Christ, it was a thri- had a thriving population. It was a town on the coast of Galilee, about three, t- three miles from Capernaum, where Jesus did much ministry. Dye, dye works and primitive textile factories were found there, and there was abundant wealth in the community. And it may be that Magdalene was connected with the industry of the town, for it would seem as if she was not without means, enabling her to serve the Lord with her substance. Now, sometimes we hear tradition that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and that she was a woman of ill repute, and uh, many, many Bible scholars refute that because there's two different stories in Luke's gospel, one of Mary Magdalene and the woman caught in adultery. Those were two separate stories. Others have said that this gal was a gal of significant worth and, and a gal with maybe a, a decent background from a decent home, but we see in a few minutes, or we'll see in a scripture, that she was still tormented, that there was something going wrong, something in her history, something that opened her up to some form of torment. And Luke's Gospel 8, it says so. Soon says, soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, and she was, he was preaching and announcing The good news about the kingdom of God. And I I like this picture. Here's this tribe, man. They're on a mission. And Jesus and his crew, it says, "...he took his 12 disciples with him and along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's business manager, and Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples." Here Mary's mentioned, and now she's with a group, and she's with other famous women. One of them was, was even served in Herod's court, and they've been out ministering and, and, and preaching the gospel, and, and she's totally restored. But it's interesting here, and in Mark's gospel, it makes this comment, and among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. We don't, we don't really get that, like understand in other places in Scripture, it doesn't go into great detail what that was about. But the number seven significant because seven, every place it's used in Scripture, it means there was completeness to this, that the torment was complete, that whatever was happening to her and how that happened, Scripture's silent, but, but what it does say, she was living a tormented life. She, she was living in bondage. There, some of us joke, you know, we talk about, oh, that guy's just dealing with... His demons, and and sometimes we're talking about personality flaws or somebody just going through a rough patch of life, but that's not how Scripture defines Mary's life, said she was possessed with seven demons. And uh, Jesus said, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many know that? Jesus made a distinction, what comes from heaven and what comes from hell. And what comes from hell is torment. It's demonic bondage. And spirits get access through our lives, through the things we do willfully, when we rebel against God, and sometimes they come because we're victimized, because things that have happened. But we know this. Frustration becomes anger, which becomes uncontrolled rage and hatred, and often there can be demonic activity involved. Curiosity becomes fascination, which becomes compulsion, and that out-of-control obsession, and oftentimes demonic activities involved. Discouragement becomes defeat, and a defeated attitude leads to depression, And depression leads to hopelessness, and then you can't break the cycle, and often demons are involved. Abandonment can lead to a sense of worthlessness, which results in an identity often shaped by demonic lies. And easing the strain or killing the pain with a glass of wine, or sometimes it starts out as an occasional distraction or escape, but it grows into an uncontrolled addiction, and we can see that demons can get involved. A pattern of illness that can't be diagnosed and others say are untreatable and chronic and sometimes there's demonic component involved, spirits of infirmity. But however you look at it, people end up chained. And however we decipher it, where scripture is silent, we can say that Mary was in bondage. The, the, The commentator Charles Spurgeon, he said this. He said, persons who find themselves in Mary's condition, they end up unsocial and in solitary. If they were permitted, if they were allowed to or permitted, they would break away from all those dear associations of the family circle and are delighted to wander in dry places, seeking rest and finding none. They were pictures of misery, images of woe. Such were the seven times unhappy Magdalene. She was overwhelmed with seven seas of agony, loaded with seven manacles of despair, encircled with seven walls of fire, Neither day nor night afforded her rest. Her brain was on fire, and her soul foamed like a boiling cauldron. Miserable so, no dove of hope brought the olive branch of peace to her forlorn spirit. She sat in darkness and saw no light. Her dwelling was in the valley of the shadow of death. And among all the women of Magdala, there was none more wretched than she, the unhappy victim of the restless and malicious demons." But how many know that the unexpected love broke through? How many know that something changed all that? When, when people talk about Jesus' eyes and people that have seen him and had life after death experiences, they say there's something about his eyes. That, that when you connect with him and you connect with the eyes of the Lord, just, the people have described it's like a flood. Streams of living liquid love come out of him. And that day, Jesus was walking the streets of Magdala. And that day, the torment that was in her was confronted by just the solar flare of God's love pouring out of Jesus. And something happened and something changed and she was delivered. Her life had changed. She was set free. That, that, that same love, when you read the Gospels, there's a guy in Scripture talks about this rich young ruler who came to Jesus and, and, and wanting to know how he could be a follower and Scripture says this: Jesus looked upon him and he loved him. It's just a simple phrase. Jesus looked upon this rich young ruler, and Scripture says he, he loved him. When Nathanael was being called as a disciple, one of the twelve, scripture says Jesus saw him at afar, sitting under a tree, and said to him, Oh, Nathanael, in whom there's no guile. I'm sharing that because Jesus sees us. His eyes are upon us. And if we, if we would allow him and connect with him and, and look upon his eyes, there's love for us. He, he knows us and he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? He knows my sparrow, he still loves me. Because I can get up here on a Sunday and preach and share, but he knows my secrets and he knows my challenges. He knows what Tuesday looks like. He knows when I'm going to be discouraged. He knows when I'm going to blow up in anger. He knows those things. And he still loves me. It's unexpected love. It's unexpected love that compels me just to move forward and to keep trusting him. And to keep following him. And to keep pursuing him. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about this morning? <laughs> Have you ever experienced a love like that? An overwhelming sense of God's love and joy. and That, that feeling, that sense that it's going to be okay. That God's going to turn this thing around. That he's still involved. We think it's unexpected, but he's working behind the scenes. He's changing things in the background. I still remember, like, I don't know about you guys, but the most intense hours on earth are when your kids are being born or your grandkids are being born. I mean, the tension in the hospital and the, you know, hearing your wife in agony or I think it was worse when I heard my daughter in agony. I don't know. But, but that, intensity, that intensity that comes and then all of a sudden the baby's born and love fills the room and everything's going to be okay because God's on the scene. That, that unexpected love that breaks through. I have, oh, I have too many stories about that and just how, how, how God has come through over and over again. But in Mary's life, this is what I want to end with this morning. Is, it's just not so much when his love invades and an ex- unexpected love hits our heart but I guess this morning, it's, it's our response to that that makes the difference. It's what happened when Mary was touched by that love. And just a few lessons from her life. Number one, her deliverance led to her devotion. J- Jesus said this, those who have been forgiven much love much. I've found that. Sometimes the most fanatical people you meet for Christ are the former addicts. Sometimes the most fanatical people are the people that have been broken the hardest. And now they're redeemed. I've shared this story about Willie many times. And this is when we're in the other building. And there's a guy that showed up, especially Wednesday nights. And when he'd praise and worship, man, he'd clear the crowd. He'd be moving and nobody would want to sit by Willie. <laughs> and that went on for a while. And I had to ask Willie, hey, man, I don't mean to quench what's going on, but... Uh, makes people nervous when you got full contact worship going on. I mean, th- that makes people nervous. And, and, and he said, I, I, I'm sorry, Pastor Mike. I was on San Quentin death row, and, and they, they found the evidence and turned it around, and I'm a free man. And I told God, every time I could worship, I would worship in liberty because you set me free. And so... When those things go on, when unexpected love breaks through and you get another chance and a third chance and a fifth chance, something, something comes alive in you, amen? And, and Mary's deliverance led to her devotion. The hard part through the years, you know, 40 years of being a believer and ministry 30 some years, I've seen Jesus come and rescue lots of lives and get people back on the path, but it, it doesn't turn into devotion. See, Mary's story is different. What, what, what happened for her when she was converted, her pursuit of his presence never stopped. You see Mary with the tribe and Mary traveling. But also scripture says, says Mary, Mary was there at the cross. Mary was there when, when, when Jesus was being crucified. Let me go back to this one. Here's just a scene in the background. She's gathering the women there, but scripture says she was at his feet when, when he died. Joseph of Arimathea asked for his body, it was Mary that was holding his body and and carrying Jesus to the tomb. Her her pursuit of his presence never stopped when she showed up at the tomb. Here's these two angels. I'd be fascinated by the angels. You know what she said? Where is he? Where's his body? Here's these two angels going, power coming at him. Scripture says she doesn't even pay attention. She just says, where's my Lord? Where'd you take him? When, when Jesus finally reveals himself, she, she thinks he's the gardener, and there's reasons why in his glorified body. And last time she'd seen him, he'd been beat to a pulp, unrecognizable. Now she saw him in his glory, was confused, thought he was the gardener, and says to him, "Where where's my Lord? Because of a changed life, her pursuit of his presence never stopped. There's this thing called perseverance. Perseverance is part of our Christian walk, and not to chastise anybody, but... I know our, Christi- our culture is pretty distracting. And uh, it's, it's, there's lots to vie for our attention. And we can come and we can hear stories about people being touched by God and cheer and shout and even have this unexpected love breakthrough in our lives. But d- does that breakthrough lead to devotion? Does that, that breakthrough lead to, to a pursuit to know Him? A, a, a pursuit to have relationship with him. He, he, he came, he died to remove the wall. That you and my, me might have relationship with him. And, and that not just know him in a story, but know him as part of our story. Amen? Not only that, Jesus, Jesus picks Mary as an example. And uh, it, it's amazing culturally when you, when you think about this. Um, where am I? Sorry. This is what some commentators say about Mary, because out of all the people that knew and heard that Jesus had said he would raise, be raised from the dead, Mary was there. And one commentator said this the risen Jesus appeared to Mary first, and it's ironic that in a time when women could not be legal witnesses, Jesus chose women as the first witnesses of his resurrection. Bible commentator Schreiner writes this, even though the testimony of women was not received by courts, Jesus appeared to women first, showing again their significance and value in God's kingdom. Borland, another conservative biblical commentator, writes this, why were the women chosen as witnesses of the resurrection? Was God trying to indicate larger roles for women in his new community of believers? All four gospel writers bestow a great honor on the women who lovingly and with servant hearts came to the early tomb to anoint Jesus' body, thus paying their last respects. These women led the way in proclaiming the gospel, indicating the duty and high privilege of witnessing for Christ is still open to every believer without distinction or as to their gender. Jesus broke tradition in a big way. He allowed the women. He allowed Mary to be the first apostle. An is a messenger. He allowed her, said, Go tell my disciples what just happened. And she was the first forerunner that went and got to preach that he's resurrected, that he's alive. Jesus chose her, I think, because of her devotion. I think he chose her because of her heart. Last but not least, the best evidence of a resurrection is a transformed life. Do you believe that? You, you can read Scripture, and I've been with the people arguing facts from, out of the Gospels. I've been with people who, who you know, are antagonists and, and want to debate whether the, about the authenticity of Scripture or the changing through time of the different writings, and can you trust it? I've, I've been in those debates before, where, where Scripture came from and how, how come there's you know, some Gospels that didn't make it into the canonized Scripture, all those arguments. But you know what you can't argue with to change life. You can't argue with when somebody's been transformed. And Mary was transformed. You can't argue when, when, when this unexpected love captivates you. And, and it's changed you. And, and, it's, and it's brought resurrection life to you. You, you. you can't deny those things. So I've seen before and after pictures a lot. Here, here's just one example. I've seen the before pictures when life's been, people have been broken by just the hardships of life. There's a gal I saw, at, I was at the, uh, the Heidi Baker conference Friday night, and uh, there's a gal that walked the back, across the back row, and uh, about probably five Easter's ago or four Easter's ago, I used her video testimony, how been she'd been beat up by opiates and drugs and just divorce and all that, and I used her story here in church, and yesterday I saw her. I had to look twice. Is that so and so? Is that her? Her countenance has changed. She's she's remarried. Her life's been turned around. It's it's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ has changed her. Unexpected love broke through. Unexpected love brought new hope. That's good news. Amen. I couldn't find too many for Mary Magdalene, but I know her her life was transformed because you know. Anyway, it was off of a movie. So if you saw the Bible series, I was going through the Bible. Come on, before and after, before and after. But God changed your life. 2,000 years later, he's still changing our lives. What's your before and after picture look like? What's your before and after picture look like? Is there joy? Is it, has he changed you? Are, are you encountered him? Have you pursued him? Ha, have you made it your pursuit to follow after him and let him... His unexpected love fill you and allow unexpected love to roll through you. I, the, the last part of this is, for me, unexpected love brings a transformed life. But you know, you know what blows me away? That I knew how selfish and self-focused and my deal, my game was before I got saved. And that was a long time ago now. And I knew I was living for myself and doing my own deal and you know what the most amazing thing for me is that God's love comes into your life and he gives you a love for other people. It's an unexpected love. Like how can you love people that are so different than you? How can you connect with, with really strangers and now they're your brothers and your sisters and you can have a love and a compassion and a care for their life? And I threw this light up because it was in a, a couple of weeks ago in Zambia we, we were there, and I was praying for guys in the church, but it wasn't so much that place. It was when we were in Kenya a week before, and we were at Agape Church in Kenya, and uh, we were ministering to the junior high kids, and then uh, we were just talking about boundaries in your life and having good relationships and the choices you're making, and then Pastor Shadrach said, you guys want to pray for some kids? I said, sure, so we did altar calls for kids. And they're all kind of sitting back, but one by one, they'd come up for prayer. And we, we probably sat there an hour and a half praying for kids. And their stories and what they're going through. Because he's, he's in the impoverished area around Nakuru. And the things they're asking for, and I was, I'm having a hard enough time keeping it together this morning, but but that morning, and I was praying for him and just like the compassion of God and hearing their stories and there's just, just like a love, a connection that only God can do. An unexpected love for these little Kenyan kids, snotty-nosed little Kenyan kids, living in dirty clothes and believe me, there's a smell that's unique and, and the, 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 sometimes the odor that comes from clothes that aren't washed and those things and, and to be praying for them and feel the compassion and the love of God. That's why I know resurrection's real because he can put that kind of love in our heart an unexpected love for people that we don't know and people that we've never met before, but we connect and we hear their stories. There's compassion that flows. And I know that's the love of God. Amen? I don't know about you, but, or where you're at this morning with unexpected love, but I just, I just want to pray that you could connect with his love for you today.